Hey guys, I'm Chamberlain and I'm alcoholic. Um, I've been sober since August 7th of 2018. Um, yeah, so I don't know, man. Sobriety is a weird thing. Uh, I did not get sober uh, by choice this go around. Uh, I wasn't like, yeah, let's get fucking sober. It's going to be tight. Um, I had a a lot of shit happened for me to get sober, but I will start by saying that getting sober is the best thing that ever happened to me. And all of the shit that came with me getting sober this time um, had to happen for me to get sober because I wouldn't have gotten sober without it. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll just start at the beginning. Um, I grew up in the South between New Orleans and Baton Rouge mostly, a little bit of time in Mississippi. Um, it was a little different than it is out here down there, you know, uh, a lot of, I don't know, I grew up, we were broke, broke as fuck, you know, uh, we didn't live in like nice neighborhoods, we didn't do all that, uh, it was a little different, you know, we didn't, my dad worked his ass off for everything that we had, my mom um, was kind of always in and out of jobs because she suffered from her own drug addiction and alcoholism, um, which I caught on to at a pretty early age, you know, growing up, I think that like, there was a lot of resentment because of what my dad did. He was always working all the time. He was always doing what he had to do to support the family. I didn't understand that at the time. I just wanted my dad around and he was never really around, you know? Um, and my mom, when she was around, she was fucked up, laying in bed, sleeping, or I don't know, man, it was just rough, you know? Um, and my whole family, I guess, were a group of drug addicts again as I would come to realize as I got older you know um I guess I don't know as I was a kid I had a lot of my own issues like with anger and frustration and all of that um that just really didn't really know how to deal with I started fighting a lot in school when I was in third grade from the third grade until I my senior year I got at least suspended from school every year for fighting or whatever um but the first time I picked up a drink or used a substance I was 12 years old um and I started smoking weed and drinking beer or actually the first time I drank it was a box wine in the fridge that my mom had um and I remember that first drink very very well I remember how it made me feel uh and everything about it I think that was kind of where it all started because by the time I was 13 uh, I spent a lot of time on the computer and I would research pharmaceuticals you know my mom had cancer and like what I was told by one of my cousins is that like that's where all the good drugs are right so uh, I would go into my mom's uh, stuff while she was sleeping I would grab all of her pills and I would look them up online to see like what was controlled what wasn't you know uh, what's something that people use on the streets like what's not um, and I found out that she had a list of things that I could start using so I started stealing them um, I started using lots of pills by the time I was 13. Well, when I turned 14 years old, it was the first time I got sent away from home. Uh, I got sent to a boot camp, military academy, actually, um, because my parents didn't know what to do with me, man. I was fucking freaking out all the time. I was angry. I was resentful. I was breaking shit. I was crying. I was screaming. I was hating everybody, and they had no idea what was going on. You know, like in that time period, I probably saw like five psychiatrists. We would go to Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Jackson to meet all these different doctors. I was trying to figure out what the fuck was wrong with me, and nobody could figure it out. Right? They would put me on this like antipsychotic or this antidepressant or this, that, and the other. When in reality, I just had a drug problem. You know, and I was running out of drugs, and I was going through withdrawals, and I was a kid. You know, um, but I didn't really understand that either until I got older and I started to see 
what happened as I got older. But uh, yeah, I had some issues and they couldn't figure out why. And it was because I was hiding a drug addiction. And I think they kind of caught on to it. They thought I was just smoking weed, but I was not. Um, so they sent me to this military academy. And uh, it was the first time I'd ever been sent away. I was still a kid, you know, I was like 14 years old, away from my family for the first time, meeting all these random people. I was scared. I didn't know what to expect. Um, and I fucking hated it. You know, all I could think about was like my friends or like how much I miss my family or, you know, using drugs and alcohol. Um, so the first chance I got, I made it there about six months, five or six months. Uh, and the first chance they, they told me, we can give you a different rank. You know, we'll, I basically move you up in their like little system, their program there, or uh, we will let you go home. And I said, I'm going to go home. And as soon as I went home, it was right back to doing what I was doing. You know, um, I would bounce in and out of schools for fighting for getting caught with drugs uh, for doing all of that that nonsense that we do you know um i remember being 14 as soon as i got out of that actually uh out of that military academy i uh came home i turned 15 and i got into the first band i ever played in um and we were actually really fucking good um we had a little bit of a following where we were at through new orleans and baton rouge we played a lot of shows um, and I did that for about six months, but then I was introduced to other drugs. You know, we graduated into, you know, big boy drugs. Um, and the whole, like, playing music was great. The shows were great. I was doing what I love to do. You know, I didn't mention that. I've been a musician for a very long time now. Uh, love playing music. I was doing what I love to do. Uh, we had some really big opportunities come through, and I remember... The front man and the singer stole all the money that we had, and the guitar player that taught me everything I know about playing metal actually died. Uh, he was really high, wrapped his car around a tree, and um, I remember that being the first time I'd ever lost anybody very close to me. Um, he was like a, the big brother I never had, right? I didn't have that father figure around all the time. So like this guy was showing me about metal. He was teaching me about drugs. He was teaching me about money. He was doing all of these things that like I just wanted to know. Uh, and then he was taken away from us, you know, um, because of drugs and alcohol. And it took me a long time to actually deal with the death of, of him because he was so close and important to me. He still, he still really is, you know. Um, so yeah, he passed away and uh, things just didn't get better. I started using the drugs that he introduced me to, you know, um, I started getting kicked out of school some more. Uh, I remember I got my first car when I was like, yeah, yeah, about to turn 16. And as soon as I got that car, it was like over with, you know, I was getting kicked out of school and I said, fuck it. I would run away, I'd go to New Orleans. I'd shack up, you know, with my friends down there. We'd get high, we'd skip school, you know, we'd sell drugs. We'd do all of this stupid shit, go to jail. You know, uh, that was a place I loved to go. And the first time I actually went to jail was when I was 15 years old for like curfew violation, possession of marijuana. You know, uh, but when I got my car, I was just like, you know, fuck this. My parents can't tell me what to do. Like they were never around. Um, you know, nobody can tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want. So, like I said, I would travel, I would go down to New Orleans, I'd go to Baton Rouge, um, and I would just, like, stay there and get messed up on drugs. When I was 17, I met, uh, this girl who, I guess, I don't know, she, she was shooting heroin, you know, and I looked at her and I said, if she can do it, I can do it, and I let her do that for me for the first time, and that was it, you know, that was the first thing. Uh, that was literally the beginning of the end. Um, 
And that's all I did. My whole life became centered around how can I use this drug? How can I do this? How can I drink? You know, uh, constantly. Because if I don't have this, I have to drink so that I'm okay. Um, and it just kept getting worse. You know, I started losing friends. So I had a, a friend of mine at the time that I was dating this girl who uh, was also using with me. He was dating her little sister. And he and I became like really close. You know, we did everything together as like a unit. And uh, we did this for again about six or seven months. And uh, yeah, one day he called me and he was just like freaking, he was freaking the fuck out. He was like, dude, I don't know what to do. I'm detoxing, I need you to do something. Bring me this, bring me that, bring me the other. And uh, I remember telling him, I was like, dude, I, I'm not gonna do that. You sound like a junkie right now. You need to get your shit together, you know, and uh, we'll figure this out tomorrow because like that's what he and I would say to one another. Uh, when we started, you know, crossing that threshold, we'd be like, shut the fuck up, you're a junkie, whatever. And he'd call me back the next day and he'd be all right. Well, that night uh, he overdosed and he died and he never called me back. Um, and I remember the next morning when I woke up, my girlfriend at the time, her sister, everybody was calling me and they're like, this is your fucking fault, you know, you better not show up to your funeral, you know, we'll basically get you fucking killed. You know, don't come here. His family doesn't want to see you, our family doesn't want to see you, nobody wants to see you, fuck you. You know, um, and like that was where everything I had was, you know, I lost everything that I had at that point. They took everything, I didn't have anywhere to go. Um, so... <laughs> I had this bright idea to move in with one of my friends and get my GED and go to college. You know, I had my ACT score. Uh, it was a 25. So with my ACT score, college still accepted me. Uh, they just I wouldn't help me really with any of the money. So I had to pay for college. Um, so that's what I did. I got my GED after that happened. Uh, I went to college, went to the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And um there's not shit there. I remember when I when I went to college, I was expecting this extravagant time. You know, I was an audio engineering music production major. Uh, actually, I was a double major at first in music business, too. And um, I thought I was going to stop using drugs. I was like, this shit's too much. You know, I'm losing my friends. I'm losing my fucking trust. My family doesn't fuck with me. Nobody wants anything to do with me. Like, I don't know what to do. Um, so I'm just going to stop using drugs. And the day that I got there is the day that I met the guy that had all the drugs, you know, and uh, <laughs> that was it. We started using lots of drugs, skipping class, doing this, you know, I found a, another nice young lady that I thought I was going to marry one day. And um, we started using together. And I think that that was probably the worst thing I could have done at the time. But uh, I introduced her to these, dr these drugs and this drink that I like to use so much. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I had a really good job while I was in school. They weren't paying me. They were paying me in credits, but I was working as a radio DJ, and I also had, uh, I was running live sound for one of our live radio shows there. I had keys to the music studio. I got to record uh, this album for a jazz band out of New Orleans while I was there. Um, I, I was the only sophomore in the school with a key to the studio, and I pissed it away um, because I was getting high in the studio because I thought I was hot shit you know, with this girl. I went in there and we were doing drugs, hanging out in the studio, doing this music, and my executive producer walked in and he said, hey, you need to get the fuck out of here and don't come back to work. You know, and I remember that day, uh, cause I spent like two years in college really trying to grind my ass off. Like I was passing my test, I just wasn't going to class. Um, but that day I remember feeling so ashamed because like, this is what my drug, this is what the drugs and alcohol are doing to me. You know what I mean? So I just dropped out of college altogether. Um, and me and this girl were living in this apartment, uh, basically trying to kill each other every day, 
you know, getting uh, twisted off on all these drugs, lying to each other, manipulating each other, throwing shit, you know, screaming the shit that we do when we're out there. Um, and one day she called her parents, freaked out, and uh, her parents came and got her and she moved to Memphis, Tennessee. Um, well, that was where she was from. She was there for about three or four days and called me. I was like, you should come up here, you know, whatever. We're going to do this shuffle thing. So that's what I did. I packed all my shit and I moved up to Memphis. And uh, when I moved up there, I uh, did the same thing. We started living in hotels. She started doing the same shit that we were doing before, you know, um, and I ended up getting her pregnant. And in the midst of her finding out she was pregnant, she decided that she really hated me because of what I was doing and stuff. So like, I moved back to New Orleans. And when I moved back to New Orleans, uh, I said, I'm gonna stop using drugs. So again, I'm gonna stop using drugs to get my shit together. So uh, I started a job. I was I was on maintenance at the time, trying to keep my shit together. I fucking had an apartment. You know, I was buying shit for this baby that was coming. I was doing all this shit. And uh, one day one of her friends called me and was like, yo, you need to come to Memphis. You know, I got some shit I'd like to show you. So that's what I did. Uh, I took a gun with me. I took my drugs with me. I had some people living in the house with me. I gave them the keys and I was like, I knew it wasn't good. So I went to Memphis, Tennessee and I found out when I got there that she had started stripping and she had an abortion. Um, and she like didn't tell me about it, which is probably a good thing. But I remember feeling like so broken at the time. Um, I didn't know what to do. So what I started doing, I started <laughs> doing drugs again, you know, to deal with this. And um, I remember while I was up there, we decided that we were gonna try to work things out or whatever, and it just didn't work. I ended up, her dad pulled a gun on me in their front yard, and this is like suburban fucking Germantown, Tennessee. I don't know if anybody's been there, but it's like fucking three-story houses everywhere and shit, and her dad pulled a gun on me. I had a gun on him in their front yard. Uh, police got called and shit, and I ran, right? Um, I went and got high for a couple days. I didn't sleep. And I remember uh, having this idea that I was, I don't know, gonna kill myself. So I went back to New Orleans. When I went down there, I was talking with some people, started doing the same thing again. And then I had this idea, I'm gonna go to Memphis and I'm gonna kill myself in her front yard. Um, this is what I'm gonna do. And uh, I got in my car, again, gave my keys away. Um, Joe started going up to Memphis, and I remember I started tripping out, man. I hadn't slept in a while. And my friend, I told you that overdosed when I was 17 before I went to college. I swear, I started seeing in my passenger seat. I was just hallucinating, you know. Um, and I remember looking over at one time when I did, I swerved. And as soon as I swerved, I saw cop lights behind me. Um, the cops pulled up, fucking pulled me over. I started crying. I told them what I was going to do. Found a gun, drugs, all this other shit. Um... And they took me to jail, and I was facing a pretty hefty prison sentence, actually, at the time. Because if you get caught with a uh, gun and drugs in the state of Mississippi, it's automatically aggravated, and there's a lot of time that comes with that. Um, while I was sitting in jail, I didn't really know what to do. I was just kind of preparing myself to go to prison and fucking... I don't, I don't I have no idea. I did not know what I was doing. I was just being a fucking idiot. And um, I remember this guy came to see me while I was in jail. I had no idea who this dude was. And he showed up. They pulled me out of my cell to meet with him. I'd been locked up for probably 45 days or something. And he uh, come in and he was like, I want to give you an opportunity. You know, and the opportunity is to go to this faith-based treatment center. Here's the catch. You're going to be there for a year, but we can help you take away these charges if you're willing to do this. Now, the state of Tennessee, Mississippi, and Louisiana have labeled you flight risk. So we cannot send you to these states. We're going to send you to Houston to go to this program. And he said it was faith-based, and I said, fuck that, because, like, I don't get along with God. Me and God, are, you know, we're not tight. And uh, 
So I went back to my cell and I was like, fuck you. Um, and when I went back to my cell, I remember I called my mom that night and uh, my mom was like, you're fucking stupid. You know, you need to you need to take that deal so you don't go rot away for the next, you know, 10 years in prison here in Mississippi. I don't know if you guys know anything about parchment. It's not pretty, you know. Um, and I like laughed at my mom and I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And I sat on it for about a week and some change and he came back to see me. And when he came back, he brought my dad with him. And my dad was basic. The only other time I ever saw my dad cry was whenever he found out I was shooting heroin. He saw the holes in my arms. You know, it was the only time I ever saw my dad cry. And this time my dad was crying and he's like, please do this. And I just remember it fucking broke my heart seeing my dad cry like that. So I said, fuck it, let's do it. So he sent me to Houston. I went to this treatment center. I was there for 14 months actually. Uh, was not introduced to the steps there. Um, it was all faith-based. As soon as I got out, started fucking using again. You know, so I got a job managing a Starbucks actually in Brenham and pissed that away because I was using drugs again, you know, and I went to the cycle. Now, let's see. When I was in Brenham, I started using again. I had this idea I was going to move to L.A. with the guy that I was living with, but I was strung out on heroin. And I was terrified that if I moved to L.A., I'm not going to find an H dealer. So, like, I'm not going to know what the fuck to do. You know, I can drink it all away, but I can't find this, and this is what I need. So uh, I didn't go. I moved to Austin, and I took all the money I'd saved in Brenham, and I invested it into drugs and alcohol, and that's all I started doing. That's how I supported myself when I moved out here. Started selling drugs. Um, went right back to the lifestyle. But this time it got a little deeper than everything else did. You know, I came out here. As soon as I got out that treatment center, my dad gave me a phone call. Um, and he told me that he was divorcing my mom. He found out that my mom had cheated on him. Uh, and he was like, I've given her some time. She's not changed anything. You know, she's just a fucking still on the drugs, still not doing anything different. So I'm, I'm divorcing her, you know, and then I was kind of caught in this war in the move here to Austin between my mom and my dad. And they were way the fuck back in Louisiana, you know, so I couldn't do anything about it. Uh, it was hard, man. It was fucking hard. So I came out here, pissed my life away for a while. Um, had a couple jobs, couldn't hold them down. Guys, I'm the master of not holding a job down. I can hold a job down for like 90 days. They find out I'm a drug addict, kick me out of there, and I just find another one. You know what I mean? And I'm still hustling on the side. Like, that's all I've ever known. You know, when my parents kicked me out, that's all I did was sell drugs. You know, uh, this is this is that. I didn't have a dad teach me all of this shit. You know, how do you do your taxes? How do you, I, I didn't have it. You know, how do you fucking fill out a W-4? I don't know. You know what I mean? Give me some money out. Give me 200 bucks, I'll turn it to 1,000. You know, um, so when I came out here in the midst of all that bullshit, that's what I was doing. I met another, you know, nice lady friend and uh, we did the same shit that I did every other time. It's my pattern, right? We start using together, get holed up in this apartment, fucking start freaking out on each other, using drugs, lying, manipulating, cheating, stealing, whatever, you know, the whole nine. Um, but I remember with her, uh, I was the first person to, to shoot her up with heroin. And um, within six months, she died in my bedroom floor here in Austin. And uh there was nothing that I could do, you know? So this is what drugs and alcohol do to me. Me and my homie put her in the car. We took her to St. David's and we dropped her off. That was all I knew what to do. You know, I didn't call 911. You know, I didn't do any of that because I don't have morals and values when I'm fucked up. You know, I don't know how to tell them myself. I don't know how to take responsibility or accountability for anything, you know? And then uh, fucking funny story, right after uh, we drop her off at St. David's, I go home we're chilling and stuff uh i think it was like two or three weeks later man doing the same shit 
uh, I get a phone call from my dad and my dad says, I don't want you to freak out right now. I need you to just like stay calm, but we're taking your mom to ICU in Baton Rouge. He's like, when we get her there and we get shit figured out, I'm going to call you and we'll talk about this. And like, I was like, fuck man, you know, I don't know what's going on, but this isn't good. Um, so I give it a couple days and oh well, I gave it like a day I guess my dad called me and he was like yeah you might want to make your way home he was like I don't know what happened you know um, but she's not well so try to get here and we'll, we'll get everything figured out and that day I pulled out of my apartment here on fucking Willow Creek and uh, as soon as I came down the hill I totaled my car on the way there so like I didn't know what to do um, I actually got a ticket when I did that too I almost got arrested um, anyways it's a story for another day uh totaled my car so I went back to the note doing what I do I sold everything that I had drugs and all that I bought another car and I start going to fucking Louisiana and um, I remember driving on my way to Louisiana I got pulled over in Leesville um, and when I got pulled over I ended up going to jail actually I was there for probably 24 hours I uh, get back get out of jail my aunt came and bonded me out I get home and when I got home, everybody was really quiet. My dad was like, you really look like shit, you know, but let's talk. And I went into the kitchen and um, my aunt was there, my brother was there, my dad was there. And they told me that my mom had committed suicide. And uh, I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to do, you know. Uh, there was a lot of loss there in a very short amount of time. Um, I, I didn't know what to do, you know, so. I did what I do best. I went upstairs, I did some drugs, sat there for a while, and uh, couldn't cry, couldn't do anything. Um, they had funeral arrangements already planned out. I was really pissed off because they didn't really tell me what was going on until I got home. They waited to break the news to me. Um, but they also knew that I'm a junkie living in Austin. They can't put their eyes on me, so I might kill myself over this, you know? Um, because when I think about it, my mom was an alcoholic and a drug addict just like me. You know, I, if I have, I'd be lying to you if I told you I would, I'd never thought about taking my own life because of this shit. Getting caught up in my own lies and everything and just wanting to find an easy way out. Because um, that's what I do. I find easy ways out, you know. Um, so, yeah, we had the funeral. And I remember I left my mom's funeral because I was dope sick. I didn't make it through the whole thing. It was a very sad time. I fucking just bounced out of there. Drove my ass back to Austin, Texas. Um, and when I came back to Austin, uh, it was not good. I was very isolated in my apartment, doing my, the damn thing. And uh, fortunately, some people decided to get smart and turn me into Crime Stoppers a couple months later. So I went to prison. Um, <laughs> fucking Crime Stoppers. Um, so I ended up going to prison that time. You know, I got caught for aggravated assault. Somebody broke into my apartment whenever I got back from uh, my mom's funeral. Uh, I beat him up. There were some other people in the crossfire of that, and uh, there were some warrants out. Took me to prison for aggravated assault. So I did a year and a half in prison, and in there I started going to AA again. Um, and some people I've heard don't call that clean time, but I'm going to tell you right now, like going in there, going to AA meetings, these motherfuckers catch you in line to, to leave the unit to go to a fucking AA meeting. They call you a bitch. They call you fucking useless. They tell you you're a fucking liar, that it's never going to last. You got more shit for going than you did for not, you know, it was fucking stupid. Um, so I dealt with that, dude, but I knew it's what I needed to do. I had a guy that became my temporary sponsor um, in there. And I worked through, on the first unit, I worked through the first four steps. And uh, 
I ended up catching chain, moving to another unit, and there was still AA. I was maximum security, so they wouldn't allow me to go to anything but church in AA. So I went to AA again there. I worked with the guy, asked him to be my temporary sponsor, and he did. I worked through the first four steps again. Um, when I moved me to the third unit, actually, um, the guy that was doing AA there temporarily sponsored me. And uh, actually, I just lied to you guys. The first unit, I did not go to AA. It was the last two units I was going to AA. Um, yeah, the last two units. And then the last unit, I uh, he actually hooked it up where he talked to the ward and they started letting me chair the meetings there on the weekends, you know. Um, so I started doing that, you know. I started getting involved with the AA thing while I was there. I took a lot of shit for it. And eventually I got out of prison. And when I got out of prison was, like, where the real shit started. Because, like, I went... So my last unit was an FI5 program, which means it's TDC's Drug and Alcohol Treatment Program. Fucking trash, but they made me do it, you know? I'd learned nothing there. But uh, when I came out, all the shit that I learned in AA took full effect. Um, Because they sent me to a halfway house. I don't know if you guys know about the state-run halfway houses either. It's like 400 people in Del Valley in a fucking metal building. And all they do is get high. Um, people with that people that parole out of prison that don't have an address or people that come from the FI5 units that I do uh, that have to stay there. I had to stay there for 75 days. And it was the first time in sobriety I'd ever seen my drugs of choice and alcohol and everything put right in front of my face, you know, and I had to make a decision. It was yes or no, you know. Um, and I remember saying no. It was the first time I ever said no in my life. Uh, but I do... I will tell you this. I started calling my sponsor because as soon as I got out, the second I got to the library, I got on Facebook and asked somebody to hook me up with a sponsor because I knew I was going to fucking need it. You know, uh, and it was a girl I used to sell drugs to. Crazy fucking story. She hit me up and she was like, hey, I see you're out. Are you doing okay? Uh, and I thought she was going to hit me up for drugs. And she was like, no, I work in treatment now. I know a guy that might be taking sponsees if you want to sponsor. And I said, fuck yeah. You know, let me do it. Um, and I remember taking home fucking like, $20 worth of quarters so I could use that stupid payphone in there and the whole 75 days I was there I probably spent $125 in quarters calling my sponsor like twice a fucking day because like I didn't know how to keep saying no to this fucking drugs the drugs in my face you're in a dorm with 35 people that are doing all this shit and you can't tell on anybody you can't do anything about it you're stuck there you know um I was stuck there and I had to see it I had to make some fucking big boy decisions um I wasn't sure I could do it and I fucking did it you know uh, I did it for 75 days um, and I remember when I got out of there, I moved straight into sober living, not because I wanted to. I told my sponsor, who was like, yeah, you should give sober living a shot. I said, fuck that. I just spent like fucking 18 months in group living. Like, that's stupid. You know, um, and he was like, I'm telling you, I would suggest anybody to give it a shot. So I did. I gave it a shot. I moved into an Oxford house. Um, and inside of the Oxford house, I got some service commitments. You know, uh, I started getting plugged into AA because we had to. You know, I started going to five different meetings every week so I could find out who the fuck was showing up. I needed to know who of you guys sitting out here were sharing, like, solution. You know, I needed to know who was, like, on their fucking grind. Uh, and that's where I stuck. And I actually made Bolden my home group at this time uh, a while back. I was coming here all the time, dude, uh, the 8 o'clock and noons. Um, but I remember when I got out of prison, the first job I was able to get was in a brewery. So like we were making whiskey and all this other shit. And uh, every day these people were asking me, this is why I was in the halfway house too, you know, to take me out to dr for drinks or food or whatever. And I just couldn't do it. And I was like, no, you know, no. Um, when I moved into sober living, there was a guy who worked in treatment there. And at the time I had some, you know, some months clean. And um, yeah, dude, I asked him like, look, you know, what, how can you, how can I do this? How can I get into this? And he got me in there, you know? So I started working in treatment 
um, which is some people think that that shit keeps you clean and it does not. That is one of the fucking most interesting tests of my sobriety I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but it's been beautiful. It's been beautiful. Um, we'll get to that though. Uh, yeah, so I got this job in treatment. I'm living in Oxford House. Well, Oxford House didn't really work out, right? And um, this is where I, I'm going to start getting into the part of sobriety where, like, people, I had this idea that I was going to get sober and my whole life was going to be magical. Everything was going to be great. No more problems. Finances are in order. Fuck, I, everything's fixed. And that was not the case. Uh, I got kicked out of my sober living house over $20. Um, and when I got kicked out of my sober living house, I didn't have anywhere to go. So I was sleeping in my car with almost a year of sobriety, fucking asking myself every night, why the fuck am I homeless with a year sober? You know what I mean? Like, what the fuck is really going on? Um, and I did that for a while, but I started speaking up in the meetings. Um, and there were some people that knew me that were, that said, hey, you know, we got a spot. If I got a spot, you got a spot. Um, and I utilized that. I stayed there um, for a little bit. And then I moved to another place for a little bit and finally a spot opened up because I feel like it opened up because I persevered. And this was with my sponsor at the time who I fired so that I can move in with him. And then I found another sponsor, right? Because like sponsorship is so important inside of this program. If I didn't have these sponsors fucking working with me out, I, I don't know where the fuck I would be at. I would not have made it through homelessness. I would not have made it through that fucking halfway house. You know what I'm saying? And I damn sure wouldn't make it, wouldn't have made it through the shit that's been going on lately. You know what I mean? Uh, sponsorship is fucking huge. You know, um, so I got another sponsor. I moved in with him. Uh, we did that for about six months. It didn't really like work out. You know, uh, we just had different ideals, different views. He was moving in somewhere else, whatever. One thing led to another. I moved out of there. Um, and then I moved into uh, where I'm at now. Now, when I moved into this new place, my sponsor at the time moved back to Boston. Um, so when he moved back to Boston, I said fuck this i'm like you know a year and some change clean i don't need a fucking sponsor i don't need to go to meetings you know what i mean like uh all the people i work with weren't going to meetings i, I know so many people they get a year of sobriety they stop going to meetings you know fuck it we're good we'll just stick together um let me tell you guys i started using people real quick you know i started getting real fucking real frustrated real resentful real quick um because i wasn't working the fucking program you know i started uh beating myself up, living in self-pity again, you know, wondering why the world is out to get me. My job performance started sucking. I couldn't fucking like, I, it was like I couldn't function again, you know what I mean? Um, because I wasn't working a program. Well, fortunately, this one guy that has been in the program for 33 years got so sick and tired of hearing me call him all the time, bitching about my problems, that he actually offered to sponsor me. He said, I don't ever ask people to do this, but you call me too fucking much let me sponsor you and let's work through this shit so i took the opportunity and i did um and i started working with him again and it took a little bit of time working through those resentments you know uh going through dude i had to work one two three fucking thoroughly this time because like i saw just how unspiritual i can get inside of sobriety you know i'd been sober for fucking a year and a half i think dude and i was like not doing well you know um my my, my job and shit looked good on the outside inside it was I was sick, you know, um, so I started working through it again. I did a thorough fourth step, you know, when I hit that fourth step, um, it wasn't a four column inventory. We did 13 column inventory. I had never heard of that before, but it was the most thorough shit I've ever done because it also had, you know, uh, a layout for me to see my patterns when it comes to my fears, right? Then I was able to go back and do an entirely different uh, uh, sex inventory. You know, um, I didn't even do a sane and sound until fucking like 
three months ago, I guess, two months ago. Uh, so I skipped that, but I did my four step, uh, the way my sponsor suggested it to me at the time, right? I did uh, my fifth step with him. I did my six and seven. Dude, when I got into a men's this time, the crazy part about working the steps, because this was my second time, right? I worked the steps the first time when I met this guy when I got out of prison and it was not very thorough. I missed a lot, you know? Um, this time I went through the book. You know, I went, uh, asked my sponsor for, suggestion, uh, for suggestions. Um, and I took everything that was given to me, right? So this time, as thoroughly as I did this this work, uh, it was very interesting because like my my uh, uh, amendments that I had to make were not like 45 people long. The first time I did these with my first sponsor this go round, there were so many people I had to make resentments to. You know, the financial amends, the uh, personal amends, the financial amends. I'll be honest, hurt me the most because I am fucking broke, dude. And I, I end up taking 3,500 dollars from somebody. Um, who wanted that money back, you know, and I remember my sponsor at the time telling me, you know, Chamberlain, if you're going to make this amends, um, don't make this amends with the intention of ever going to rob another person. You know, don't uh, take this, don't make these amends to your family. If you fucking intend on robbing them of sleep every night, if you intend of fucking robbing their, their peace and their serenity, their time, don't make these amends, you know? Um, and I remember when he told me that, that shit stuck. I was like, you're right. I shouldn't do this if I don't mean it. Um, fortunately, I meant it. You know, um, I'm in it. So I decided to make those amends. Um, and when it came to my second go round with amends, uh, they weren't that long. You know, a lot of it was because, like I said, in sobriety, I was acting like an asshole because I wasn't working a program. So I needed to make I needed to right those wrongs, you know. Um, and currently right now I'm on step 11, you know, um, and it's at perfect timing. Right. Because, guys, I want to tell you something. You know, I mentioned this before that life has this funny way of not being as perfect and thing you know as perfect and wonderful as i would like it to be sometimes you know um i thought that things would be easy you know i've lost friends inside of recovery just a couple what a couple months ago you know i lost somebody when i told you guys i was homeless in recovery um one of those people that took me into that house uh overdosed she went and relapsed and she overdosed um well you know the interesting part about this is she'd been in recovery for a couple years and we went to her memorial there were like 125 people there of people that were inside of this program that showed up that were fucking crying together that were talking. Everybody had a turn talking about the impact that she had on their lives, regardless if she was using or not, you know, um, talked about how the way that she had worked their program and like the way it had affected people. And I remember sitting there looking at that, you know, and just looking at the fucking difference, right? Like if I was using, this would have never happened. You know, if I never would have gotten clean and found this this community it never would have fucking happened you know um she got clean she found this community and even when she relapsed they showed up for her because like that's what we do you know even when it sucks i'll tell you guys when i act like an asshole um when shit's going wrong you know i've probably spent i don't know a lot of money on my car over the past like month and a half because it keeps fucking up you know um i go through shit with like my roommates you know, uh, I, I'm still on parole and probation. So like they're sucking all kinds of money out of me. Um, and sometimes it feels like I'm never, it's never going to end. You know, it feels like things are never going to be okay. And like, that's not the fucking truth. You know, my sponsor and I were talking about this uh, and I was actually talking to somebody about this before the meeting, you know, that like when this shit crops up, because it will inevitably crop up, shit happens. Life did not stop spinning because I got sober. This is not my fucking world. You know, this is not my plan or as much as I would love it to be. It's not. I'm not in control of anything, you know. Um, so when the shit hits the fan, um, sometimes for me, I think it's because like 
it's it's definitely a, a reminder that I need there's some work that still needs to be done you know uh, it's also a reminder for me to take a step back and look around at what I've got you know I get to look around at the community that I've built inside of this fellowship you know I mentioned earlier that I had the opportunity of working in treatment you know uh, when I when I got that job I was just a tech doing it and uh I started showing up. This is the first time I've ever held a job down longer than 90 days, you know. Um, and I was a tech there for, I don't know, 10 months, I guess. And uh, they ended up letting me get my li- a license to recovery coach while I was there. And um, with that license, I was also able to start running groups. And it became my job to help other alcoholics and addicts figure this shit out, you know by doing nothing more than sharing my experience. Don't tell my job that's what I do, but that's what I do. You know, I take like this, this shit into there and I might like subliminally throw it in there, but like I do because like this shit, this shit saved my life. You know what I mean? Um, I share my experience that it may benefit somebody else. And uh, there, I can't tell you, man, how much it means to me to like look around these rooms sometimes and see the people that were in there inside of my groups showing up to these fucking meetings after they leave that treatment center, right? Um, I didn't get the opportunity to have that, you know, um, and I share like my experience with how I got sober in hopes that like you understand, like you don't have to get sober that way. It does not have to be your experience, right? We don't have to fucking like, we don't have to throw everything away to figure this shit out. You know, I, I did inevitably I had to throw everything. Away. I had to lose it all so that I could fucking finally start to realize that the things around me mean something, you know, that the people in my life, they mean something, right? That the principles behind these steps mean something. And I do want to talk about that, right? The principles that correlate with the steps that we work, man. Um, Because like when I think about it, I look through steps one through 12. Even if I took those steps out and looked at the principles of like fucking, you know, honesty, openness, willingness, perseverance, faith, all of these things, love, uh, responsibility, all of these, all of these fucking principles. If I applied those to my life, things would be better. When I'm doing this work, each one of these steps that teaches me how to be honest, that teaches me how to persevere, that teaches me how to find hope when shit seems hopeless, you know, that teaches me how to be open mind, open minded. Right. Uh, It's changed my entire life. Um, and I have it step by step laid out everything that I was missing inside of my life. Right. Like I'm fucking 385 miles away, I guess, from, you know, all the people that I've ever known out here. And because of these steps and these principles, I found everything I've ever been looking for in life sitting inside of these rooms. You know, I found a, a hope. I found a ways to be honest. You know, I told you guys, shit's been like rough. I think this year's been rough for everybody. Right. Um, I had a lot of friends relapse because of COVID. You know, I had a lot of friends, uh, die because of this shit you know what i mean you don't know what to do with our isolation so what the fuck do we do when we're isolated i get high i get drunk you know uh that's how i deal with myself fortunately i had people that came before me inside of this place that said yo uh i know how to persevere through shit this is how we do it i had people that blow my fucking phone up when they know i'm going through shit to say hey man fucking you're doing this to yourself hey man like talk to me reach out do something you know what i mean uh do something different than what you're doing right now. Let's go have coffee and talk about it. You know, and I sit with these people and these people fucking have saved my life numerous times. You know, uh, these people have shown me that life in itself is like absolutely worth living. You know, that was one thing that I missed inside of life. My life was never worth living. I didn't have a fucking vision. I didn't have uh, things. I had things I loved to do, get high, make music. That's, that, that was all I knew. You know what I mean? Um, I, didn't have, I didn't know that I loved to help people. 
You know what I mean? I didn't know that I had a heart that was capable of helping people or loving people or building healthy relationships, you know? Um, I didn't know any of this shit was possible because I'd never seen it. You know, I told you guys lots part, a lot of parts of my story. I didn't have a mom that was that fucking knew how to like love her kids and be there. Mama, I had to take my, my brother and I to school, take her car when I was 14. I'd wake up, make sure we ate, you know, um, because she was fucked up. And when my dad was home, it was just work, work, you know, it was a fucking nightmare. Um, but, but that doesn't have to be there. I don't have to let my past define where the fuck I'm going. And that's one thing I've learned inside of here too. You know, and I hope that there's hope in that for somebody that like we go through shitty things. We go through, man, some of us have been through some shit that, you know, you already know, right? That shit does not make me who I am today. When I sit in that shit, that's my fucking choice. That's my choice to sit in self-pity. My choice to label myself as a victim. That was one thing that I learned inside of my four-step this time that I had no idea, right? I sat down in my four-step, and one resentment that has always made every four-step I've ever done was my mother. And this time, my mom made my four-step, and I told my sponsor I want this to be the last time she shows up on my four-step because I don't know why the fuck this keeps happening. You know, um, she's dead. Why should, um, I shouldn't be resentful still. I was. I never got closure. I never got an answer for it. You know, um, and my sponsor said, you know, there are certain things inside of this that I'll never tell you you're right or wrong for or that you have a part to play in. And he's like, and this is one of those things that I'm not going to tell you that you have a part to play in it. He said, but I want to look at this with you. And he looked at it with me. Um, and when we looked at this, he said it to me and I was, you know, because I knew he was coming with love and compassion and understanding and patience and tolerance, uh, he said something to me that completely changed everything. And he said, do you think that it's possible that you made yourself a victim to this? And uh, I didn't want to hear it, but I said, absolutely. I did. I made myself a victim to this because you know what I didn't think about when she killed herself? I didn't think about my brother. I didn't think about my dad. I didn't think about a motherfucking person other than me. How the fuck could you do this to me? How could you not give me any answers? It's the same thing with everybody that died inside of my life, right? My ex-girlfriend, my best friends, you know, uh, how could you leave me? How could you do this? You know, I, that's my fucking decision to make, right? To make myself the victim of that. And I realized when I stopped making myself a victim to my past, uh, that shit doesn't have to define me today. Yeah, it happened. Yeah, it might like fuck us up a little bit, you know? But we have ways of dealing with these things. You know, uh, we have ways of connecting that remind me that I'm not alone. I don't have to walk through this shit alone. You know, on the anniversary of my mom's death, I went to work. And um, when I went to work that day, uh, the people at work, funny story, actually listen to what the fuck I say, who to thunk it, you know, and I show up and they're like, hey, you can go home. Like, we know today is a fucking rough day. Right. Um, and and th- that was a, the three year anniversary of my mom's death. Um, and I told him, no, I can't do it. I can't go home. You know, uh, I need to be around people. And I, I did that. I remember I was going to meet with a sponsee after uh after work and they canceled so I was like fuck I have to go home and sit in this shit I don't want to do it I went home and I sat in it and that night I went to a meeting and it was the first time in sobriety this time that I showed up to a meeting and said fuck this I don't want to be here fuck all of this you know what I mean uh I'm fucking angry and I don't know why you know I just just don't want to be here right now and I was surrounded by compassion and love and understanding uh and that night it occurred to me that like when I'm when I can't be strong you guys can be strong for me you know and when you guys can't be strong I can be strong for you right Uh, And then at the end of all of it, maybe we can all just sit down and cry together. Fuck it. You know what I mean? But we can do this shit together. And I got to experience it firsthand on like why this was. It was such an eye opening thing. Right. Uh, And I remember it fucking like melted my heart because I had never seen that before. 
You know, I, I never understood that we could live this way, you know, that I, I could be, I didn't have to be strong all the time, you know, because I always felt like I had to be. Um, I have a few, not, not much time left at all. I just want to like kind of close on this. That like, again, if you're new to this shit, man, um, I want you to know that like, I, you can do this. You know, there's hope out there if you're looking for the hope, right? Uh, sometimes we just got to fucking want to look for it. Um, and I hope that if you're able to get anything out of all of this is that like regardless of the shit that we go through, it doesn't define us and there's a way out. You know, I've been sober almost 29 months uh, and I couldn't imagine my life any differently, you know. Um, and sometimes we're dealt the golden tickets to go get high, right? Like when my mom killed herself, my ex-girlfriend died. Uh, if I pull that card, you can't really say shit to like why I drink or use. People get it, you know, away with it all the time. Um, but that's not the, that's not the truth for me. Right. Uh, I don't have to vic be victimized by that. And I hope you're able to take that away, too, that we like, don't have to be victimized by all of this shit. Right. That there's a solution out here and it comes in the form of 12 steps and 12 principles that I apply to my life every day. Uh, I work with a sponsor. I work with sponsees. You know, I, I do this program the way that it was you know, taught to me, the way that my sponsor sponsor taught him, you know, uh, and the way that this thing's been working since fucking like whenever this book was written, you know, um, this shit is like amazing and it has absolutely changed my life you know um so if i can do it man you can do it uh, and i love you guys for real all the people that showed up tonight you guys are the fucking realist you know um yeah that that's it thanks for letting me share <laughs> yeah.